0: Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Monster House presents...
1: Monster Talk is an independent podcast production of Monster House, LLC. You can show your support by subscribing to our ad-free extended episodes at patreon.com forward slash monster talk. We want to grow our Monster Talk audience, and the easiest way to accomplish that is for listeners to leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. Positive reviews have a huge impact and only take a moment. December of 1985, I was 16 years old, and the big computer game I wanted was Ultima 4. The Ultima series of computer role-playing games had its origins in a high school project for Richard Garriott, who was the son of astronaut Owen Garriott. Early in the game series, it was just hack-and-slash monster fighting and questing, but by the fourth game, Garriott did something much more ambitious. He made the main quest of this computer game not for treasure or glory, but for becoming the embodiment of virtues. The game opens with your character traveling from our world to the mysterious and magical world of Britannia, where you start by going into a covered wagon to get a kind of a tarot card reading. Now, my parents didn't really want me getting involved with Dungeons & Dragons, you know, Satanic Panic, or really any kind of role-playing, yet I felt myself drawn to this video game as much as this in-game character was being drawn to this wagon. Through a fascinating series of moral questions, your character gets their initial character designation all through the metaphor of divination cards. Ultimately, one learns through these questions about the qualities one must balance to be an avatar of virtue. As I was preparing this episode, I realized there was this incredible similarity to how Garriott had set up the visual symbolism of the interconnectedness of these virtue ideas and the way that the mystical practice called Kabbalah affected the development of the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot deck, and also Alistair Crowley's Toth deck. Surely this could be no coincidence, I thought. So I reached out to Richard Garriott and asked him, and he said that he did not look into Kabbalah at all during his research for the game. It was just a coincidence, or what some might call a synchronicity.
0: It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before.
1: Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And
0: I'm Karen Stolzner.
1: This is part two of our two-part discussion of tarot cards. In part one, we talked about how the game of tarot was already four centuries old before French occultists created the idea of formalized card divination. And over a few decades, turned the artistic but mundane game into a mystical deck of divination with a history that stretched back to ancient Egypt. We'll pick up that conversation right where we left off, But just a quick reminder that we're now on a weekly format, at least to the end of 2022, and we already have had some very positive feedback on that. Karen and I really appreciate you giving us a chance to try something new after 12 years, and we hope this works out for everyone. Well, I haven't had a nervous breakdown yet, so so far so good. On to part two. Monster Talk.
0: Really interested to read about how they're being used nowadays as a tool in therapy. Yes. so not necessarily even even that they're going to predict the future, but as a tool for decision making so it really depends on on your belief system, perhaps it's not the best way to, to make decisions uh, but you know <laughs> I guess really when it comes to decision making uh, anything that can can kind of assist in that regard uh, sometimes can can be helpful and if not necessarily if you're affording or attributing some kind of uh, occult or supernatural belief system to it but um people use them for meditation as well and um for just all just as a game too there yeah. are lots of apps <laughs> and you can go online and you can do a, a tarot reading too and I, I think just for entertainment for for fun that uh, a lot of people do that but yeah i think it could potentially be dangerous when it comes to being used in therapy um it, it, again it depends Depends on exactly how you're using them, and if you're using them to make big decisions in life, it mightn't be the wisest thing.
1: Personally, I mean, obviously, people know from the show that we're pretty skeptical. <laughs> we, Reality-based, you know, like you know, reality advocates. Uh, I, 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 I want to see what's real. But I have, you know, there's I, there's plenty of room for poetry and art in my life, and, and I, I certainly don't begrudge anyone who finds usefulness here. I don't like the idea of oh, yeah. people being ripped off by fortune tellers. That's a common thing. But um, in fact, if you look at the history of fortune telling, there's there on the one hand, there's the we don't want people being ripped off, so we make a law, right? That that makes some kind of sense. Mm-hmm. But there's a flip side to that. And, and it goes back to the idea that people who are engaged in the business of fortune-telling are often from outsider cultures. So you might think here, oh, of course, the Romani, right? And uh, we will not be saying the G word, but um, maybe we should at least to discuss how it's wrong. So the Roma, the Romani people... Uh, not people from Romania mm-hmm. but the 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 sort of traveler uh, migratory culture of of the romani right are um mm-hmm. they actually uh derive from india originally but they they were a displaced people all throughout european history and often along with the jews mm-hmm. they were victims of pogroms and you know genocidal attempts yes they they
0: were right. yeah, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. so
1: if you were in this culture, oftentimes you were migrant people because you had no land, and you made right. your living through trade, craft, or and, and the the rumors were the, the reputation was that the women of these people would do fortune telling, uh, and and were thieves, mm-hmm. and the men were artisans and craftsmen, and I mean th- this is a ridiculous stereotype. But it's making
0: you, me think of the Shire song.
1: Yeah, but if you think about it, if you were not legally allowed to own land and you were not legally allowed to have a job, and you had to make a living, you know, selling Or your, only you know,
0: certain jobs. So right, there again you've got right. you've got parallels with Jewish people. You could see definitely. where they
1: might get reputations for fortune telling and occult work because uh that that mm-hmm. may be, you know, what they were forced into. Or it may be it was just a, a mm-hmm. bad rap. But there's a lot of written records of people going to see these, you know, you know, a band of Romani to look for, you know, fortune telling or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Well they, they they basically they were called people say gypsy and that's become a, a term mm-hmm. that's uh or a slur. A slur, right. And the the phrase, hey, you gypped me, that comes from that as well. And it's the idea that these people were not trustworthy, they ripped people off. The idea being that these people came from Egypt, right? That that was the origin of where right. they came from, which we know yeah. that the origin of tarot is the mistaken French belief that the cards of the tarot game were revealing the Book of Toth secrets of Egypt. Mm-hmm. So... Associated the Romany mm-hmm. with the tarot makes perfect sense mm-hmm. if you believe in the nonsense of both, right? <laughs> so right. I don't know yes. if it, like, and- they didn't originate the game and they certainly didn't originate Cartomancy. Mm-hmm. They were known as fortune tellers. So when this became the popular mo- mode of fortune telling, it makes sense that they would become culturally associated. But if you watch a horror movie or something where they show like some medieval village and, you know, there's a caravan of Romani coming through and they're playing tarot, it is before mm-hmm. 1780 or so. No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I just want to add there too. I think it's interesting that the different viewpoints that people have of the Romani uh, people that on the one hand, they they, they have uh they're they're scam artists and they have these uh, like egg tricks and uh you know that the famous Romani egg trick um that that people um talk about do you mind you know, uh, the one I'm if, talking about
1: do you mind explaining how they get people to shell out money for that
0: yeah I mean the one i I've heard of most is where uh, they're doing some kind of fortune telling for a person and they'll crack open the egg and there'll be uh, uh, maybe a a dead bird or or something in there or blood uh, or something to indicate that, you know, things are going to go awry, things are going to turn out bad for that person and uh, that that can be a way of trying to elicit more money out of the person. So we've all heard about uh, psychics who bilk people for enormous amounts of money because they say you're under a curse. So. Yeah, it's that kind of a thing. Um, yeah, um, But I, there are several different versions of that egg trip, trick. So.
1: It, I just want to make sure we're talking about the right thing. Like, So I there are
0: – I think it's just known as the egg trick.
1: It is. It is. I, I found an article but. from Joe Nickel it, written in 99 where he's talking about all the different variations. And, and I guess the, if this goes into the world of uh, uh, less about fortune telling more about uh, curse lifting, which is a great way to make money if you're a fraudster. Uh, because if you can convince people they're cursed, yeah. then, then then making them yep. pay to remove the curse is... Uh,
0: yeah, and pay and pay again. But uh-huh. I think that that's my point is that you have on the one side of the coin, these people are seen as scam artists and as frauds. But then on the other hand, they're seen as having this inside knowledge or uh, this, this kind of metaphysical uh-huh. skill uh, as a people uh, well, that they have these natural skills. So... It's interesting that there are these two different viewpoints. Yeah,
1: being denied culturally respectable, you know, uh, admission into the society through jobs and whatnot or land ownership, and then when you force people to only we be able to make money today. through, the, yeah, it still happens exactly today. It's the well, these immigrants aren't working. I'm like, yeah, you have made the system where they can't get a job. You know, <laughs> it's like uh, it th- these things self fulfilling prophecies. You know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well. They're either not working or they're taking our jobs, so they can't do right. It, mm, it doesn't mm, matter what way you look at them. There are these. There's a both are both viewpoints are negative. Yeah. But um,
1: I, I mentioned Kabbalah, uh, Kabbalah, the uh, Jewish mm-hmm, mysticism, yeah. which is uh, full of symbolism. And uh, I remember
0: Madonna getting into that. She uh, told that. Me physical. too.
1: That so, is literally every time I think yeah. about it. That's the first thing that pops in my head is Madonna. That is the weirdest thing.
0: And her bracelet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I realized during editing that we talked about Kabbalah, but we hadn't really explained it. Given that people spend their entire lives trying to understand this practice, I'm only able to give a brief summary and talk a bit about how Kabbalah relates to tarot and Western esotericism. Most of the world's major religions have mainstream popular orthodoxy that explains how one's to behave or practice within that faith. But many of them also have a less well-known mystical practice unique to those faiths. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sikhism, Christianity, and Judaism all have mystical practices with very long traditions. Now, I'm not a religious studies expert, but the reading I've done suggests that a vast and ancient history of mystical practices within all these faiths exists, each seen as a path to a closer connection to divinity or the universe. Kabbalah is one of these mystical paths, and it concerns itself with a variety of tenets and concepts which are said to reveal connections to deeper understanding of the divine. Its history includes numerous famous practitioners and teachers, and the pattern-finding conceptual categories and hints that there may be deeper hidden meaning in biblical texts was very enticing to enlightenment figures who saw in Kabbalah parallels to alchemy and other hidden ways of knowing. A lot of the terminology used to discuss mysticism concerns occult, the arcane, the obscured, and for people who feel within themselves that there must be more to the world, Kabbalah certainly provides an ornate and symbolic set of ideas and practices to engage with such mysteries. One of the concepts of Kabbalah is the spherot, which is a visual and conceptual tree of life symbolizing how ten key attributes of God and of man are interrelated It is presented as a series of lines and circles forming a kind of tree, each summarized in a Hebrew word. The layout of the spherot influenced both how tarot is dealt during readings and the art itself and the concepts on the cards. Because it's a very visual tool of conceptualization, describing it here is probably inadequate. If you'd like to learn more about it, I'll put some links in the show notes. But even though many people have never heard of Kabbalah, like much mystical religious thought, it is a source of significant influence that's woven throughout history, largely unnoticed by most of us. It's worth noting that the version of Kabbalah used for the writer waite smith deck was a Christianized version of the practice, and that Waite would go on to write an entire volume about his take on the practice called the Holy Kabbalah. I'll put links to all this in the show notes. Understand. that's our yeah. whole show <laughs> so join us every wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on instagram tiktok and twitter at chinwag pod and wagon in kabbalah spherot is the symbolic tree of life which has multiple concepts uh you'll see this sort of drawing i can put a picture of it in the show notes um it looks like it's mm-hmm. sephirot but it's Sphirot is the way I've heard it pronounced by people who speak Hebrew. So I hopefully I got that right or roughly right. Um, but people use that same kind of connection of ideas in the way they do their tarot, uh, laying out the cards, right? And so uh, – mm-hmm. and, and again, highly allegorical, highly symbolic. Uh, and I think, first of all, that's beautiful. It It ties in with the art on the cards. Mm-hmm. But it also – Gives you that flexibility of everything symbolic. I'm not literally saying tomorrow at 3 p.m. X is going to happen. I'm saying that this is an artistic. Right. This is a trend in your life. This is a theme. You know, so you can sort of like uh, see how it can be very vague and very compelling and very personalized. And mm-hmm. it's since we all oh, yeah. have a tendency to find meaning. I can you know. So again, I don't think it predicts the future. And I don't think it's an ancient thing, but I do think it is a beautiful thing it's mm. certainly a work of art there's there's some absolutely gorgeous decks out there uh you know so I'm not going to shame Definitely anybody there really are. you know so but
0: but well for collecting them or using them yeah. as a coffee table piece well
1: yeah and, and and have you you ever had your cards read
0: so yes I have a number of times uh, as I'd like to say on the show I think I've seen More psychics in my time than people who actually believe in (laughs) psychic abilities. Uh, But, yeah, I have had my cards read. Have you? I have. Okay, okay. Well,
1: You probably had yours at a psychic fair in in Beddon or something like that?
0: Well, I have. I have. But I think the most memorable one for me was uh, in New Orleans. I went to uh, Jackson Square. And, I mean, the creme de la creme of of psychics, right? And Fortune Tellers there. Oh, yeah. And I saw a guy who was kind of dressed like Merlin. So he had the, the look going for sure. And he did a reading and I would say that there were a lot of aspects of it. I mean, he talked about the typical things, love, relationships, career, money, finances. And I think that uh the Forer effect was really at play because a lot of things did seem to be uh to, to resonate with me. And, you know, as we know with the Forer effect, uh, it's usually gonna be reading, a cold reading that is generalized that's going to apply to a lot of people. So a lot of it made sense to me, but then there were a couple of things that really tripped up and made me think, oh, this is is BS. So at one point, uh, I mean, nothing's testable at that time when you have, well, some things can be testable or, or disproven, but uh, at the time I was told, oh, you will go on to have two children. So now at this point, 10 years later, I've, I have one child, I don't have two children. Uh, but another thing that I was told, Um, It was either the cards or the fortune teller told me that I was English. So that really said to me, okay, (laughs) this isn't real. This isn't true. And uh, I was told, oh, you're you're having a wonderful vacation, holiday. And uh, when you go back to England, uh, you'll be telling all your friends about the wonderful time you had and this amazing reading that you had at Jackson Square. So things like that obviously didn't add up. But uh, Matt, my husband, he's had a number of readings too and uh, used to even do readings for people when he worked as a psychic when he was much younger. And uh, at one point before I met him, he saw a tarot reader and uh, he was with a girlfriend who had lots of tattoos and he was told, you're going to go and get yourself a t- tattoo within the next year. And he's just not a tattoo kind of a person and he never got tattoos. And uh, But then another story was a friend who was – told that uh, she would die soon. Whoa. And it, it's interesting to me because one of the cards you have obviously is death and that's supposed to have uh, not a literal meaning necessarily, right. but a metaphorical meaning and uh, significance. But yeah, she was told that uh, she was going to, to die and she did not, thankfully, and it's many years later. But usually they don't say things like that. Usually they're going to be a bit more vague in general when it comes to the the reading. Um, but yeah, I've I've had a lot of readings, and um, yeah, a lot of them really do seem to ring true in some regards. And then in other ways, they say something that's like, "Oh, that that was very very wrong," and I don't believe in it. <laughs>
1: well, It's like you think about the major arcana. I should, we didn't talk about that, but the what would be trump cards in the card game, or these extra twenty one cards, are called the major arcana. And then the one through ten the cards, cards yeah. in the, the one through ten cards in the four suits. Are called the minor arcana, Um, and that's only in divination. Like if you're playing tarot, the game, those are just your cards, (laughs) the trump cards, and then your suit cards. So you get these cards, and always like you're watching a movie or something, like somebody throws down the death card, like oh no. Like, oh no, death, right? Yes. It was like but like nobody like if the they throw, if they throw like, down the Wheel of Fortune card, nobody goes, Oh, I'm gonna be on a game show, right?
0: <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> it's like uh...
1: about the tarot. There are twenty two major arcana cards in the Rider Waite Smith deck. What are the Arcana? Again, in the original 400-year-old card game, these are the trump cards with values of 0 to 21 each, adorned with a concept that would have been familiar to citizens of the 1400s. By the time they reached the 1700s, some of the symbolism would have changed meanings, as is the way of words and ideas over time. I think I sometimes mistakenly say there's 21 major arcana cards because I forget the fool is there, with a value of 0. Programmers will recognize this as similar to how computers handle arrays of items. The first item in such a set is called the zeroth item, which is often perilous when you're working with loops that need a counter because misplacing the counter can cause it to skip over the first element. But this is not important for our cards discussion, except to point out that while the cards number up to 21, because zero gets its own card, there's actually 22. Arthur Edward Waite produced a book called The Pictorial Key to the Tarot, which explains how he's modified the Major Arcana from the original Marseille-style deck, and each card gets a page or two describing the possible symbolic meaning. It's just too much to go through here, but keep in mind that everything in tarot is allegorical or symbolic. The Justice card doesn't mean you're being visited by the Justice of the Peace any more than Death cards mean the Grim Reaper's going to show up. Chances are you've heard of these cards or seen them, But here is a quick list of the major arcana. First, the zero card, the fool. Number one, the magician. Number two, the high priestess. Number three, the Empress. Number four, the Emperor. Number five, the Hierophant. Number six, the Lovers. Number seven, the Chariot. Number eight, Strength. Number nine, the Hermit. Number ten. Number 11, justice. Number 12, the hanged man. Number 13, death. Number 14, temperance. Number 15, the devil. Number 16, the tower. Number 17, the star. Number 18, the moon. Number 19, the sun. Number 20, judgment. And number 21, the world. And then we have the four suits. Each of these has a 1 through 10 card, plus the face cards, which in tarot are the page, the knight, the queen, and the king. And the four suits in the Rider-Waite-Smith deck are the wands, the cups, the swords, and the coins. Tarot.com has a beautiful page with all the illustrations on these cards, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes.
0: I should add to, and I don't think you've mentioned this yet, that Arcana... Uh, means a mystery or a secret or something like
1: that. I was uh, shh, don't tell people what
0: <laughs> yeah, I gave it away. Spoilers,
1: okay. You mentioned uh, Alistair Crowley's uh, tote or thoth or fo- thoth. I'm sorry for getting hung up on but, that. It there that. are so many different ways. To, I mean, it is absolutely unbelievable how many ways people have to pronounce that T-H-O-T-H uh, I
0: think uh, it's okay to pronounce it the way that uh, yeah. Modern person would today in America. So, Thoth, I think, is just fine.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I Thoth control. Uh, uh, So, Alistair Crowley made this deck, and what he did for his deck to break it away from the Rider Waite Smith deck was he added, uh, he changed some of the cards and some of them like swapped around some of the numeric values in in the major arcana. But he also incorporated, he was big into numerology and Kabbalah and symbolism. And even though mm-hmm. I think he was a bit of a loon, kind of an a hole, uh it, it, this deck's quite popular and he also added in astrology. Mm-hmm. So he really, really uh did a lot of stuff with his deck to to sort of, you know, break it out to be much like he did with making Philema quite different from the Golden Dawn. I don't know how popular his deck is. I mean clearly the Rider Waite Smith deck is the one that really took off, but uh you can still well, find I- his deck as well.
0: I think he's one – Yeah, I, I see it all the time in secondhand bookstores and yeah. and online. So I think it's really one of the, the biggest things that he's kind of left behind. But we should add, too, that just like with the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot deck, that it was Frida Harris who designed the illustrations of yes. those cards.
1: Yes, which brings me to yet another parallel, which is this, that even though it's extremely unlikely the, the, the Romani uh, had much to do with – the invention or development of tarot as the divination tool, it does seem like there was a big uh, gender-based uh, put, like, like like for the people who did fortune telling, it was largely women in that culture that did it. Like it, that was not a, a male mm-hmm. trade mostly from what I can see. Uh, although I don't know that I trust much of the writing about the Romani before fairly recently because so much of it steeped there's in a lot of bias prejudice bias in folklore yeah yeah. Um, you know yep. a lot of the writing or a lot of the reading I was doing to prepare for this episode was stuff that was written in the 1800s late 1800s a time when some of this stuff is being developed like literally being created and a time when mm-hmm. there's a, a a big interest in the systemization of folklore like the Brothers Grimm Had sort of created this this need for folklore, which gets tied up in like a a need for nationalism. So unfortunately, I think this um, this idea of having a folklore identity is also tied to national identity and and racial identity, Mm -hmm. and lots of bad things come from that stuff as as well as fun stories so
0: (laughs) lots of of different factors at play but did you mention um the the reading that you've had i don't think you
1: oh no no so yeah i've had a few uh, the the most memorable was uh at our um and of course i bet this is true for a lot of people is going to like a renaissance fair uh like Mm, right and they always have you know, booths or tents set up for this sort of thing. There's all kinds of vendors. And I went to a uh, Renaissance Fair vendor, which she was lovely. And I don't know how long she'd been doing it, but I gathered for at least weeks. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I, did, I, I didn't find it very compelling, but after eating a giant turkey leg and uh, drinking some ale, uh, sitting down to yeah, have my fortune, Rhett, Rhett, it, was, it was definitely part of the fun. Uh, I went to a party in the Middle East, where a woman brought a deck and was doing readings, and uh, that was also fun, just because it was more of an organic experience. Uh, it, sure, yeah, it, it, it didn't a cheesy, it was festival right. <laughs> experience <laughs> exactly, and she was quite <laughs> sincere. Uh, about what she was doing and it was mm-hmm. it was fun it was a party but she wasn't asking for payment she was just you know doing it as a i don't i don't know what
0: the as a party trick
1: yeah or so, yeah it was it was it was neat it was a nifty experience i wouldn't uh i you know i didn't it didn't change my life or anything but i i thought it was fun so yeah
0: sure well and in in that environment too if you could think of cold reading for a lot of people they would probably be giving feedback and uh just talking to the the fortune teller and you'd probably end up getting a pretty good reading if you've yeah. given them some background about yourself. And, uh, you know, and like with this uh, psychic that I saw in New Orleans, he obviously hearing my accent thought, oh, I've got some information on her and he didn't.
1: <laughs> but
0: uh, <laughs> it's characteristic of, of cold readings anyway. So in a party kind of atmosphere, you having a few drinks and have a reading. I'm sure it would be good fun.
1: Yeah, I again. N- none of the ones I've been involved with felt very predatory, and so you know, I, I and I I think I, again going back to like how people do culturally today, I I listened to multiple podcasts, and I was surprised and and, and delighted honestly that many of the tarot themed podcasts and books that I looked at were by people who mm-hmm. practice it but are completely aware that its history is largely fictionalized. Like they, they know this history deeply and still Mm -hmm. practice it. So it reminds me very much of, and we have still not done this, but the, the Wicca, the history of like Gardnerian Wicca, you know, dates back to the late 1940s, right?
0: Uh,
1: but it, mm-hmm. many people who practice Wicca are aware that it's not the deep and ancient practice that a lot of people think it is. But they still like, find like spiritual agonism. significance, yep. or, you know, meaning there. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not here yeah, to I, begrudge anybody's beliefs. I, I, I like to know for myself what's literally demonstrably true and what's not. But I'm not here to tell mm-hmm. people not to do something that makes them you know, feel better about themselves or whatever. I just, I, it's not for me. But yeah, for, yeah.
0: <laughs> It's certainly, certainly interesting to learn about the history and, and how that really does. Um, I won't say debunk its use as a, Right, no, no, but uh, but it it just certainly it puts things in perspective.
1: Yeah, I, I probably should not end, end any episode about this topic without at least saying the name Elpheus Levi once, because he is also uh, sort of incriminated here. Because it, it, he, we, we may remember him; he's he's famous as in, he's a French um, occultist and writer. And he produced the drawing of Baphomet, the uh, goat-headed sort of satanic image that people think Mm -hmm. of as the devil. In fact, the the satanic temple uh, famously uses a giant statue of Baphomet to uh, fight against uh, incursions of uh, establishment of religion in America. So whenever somebody wants to put the Ten Commandments in a courthouse, for example, the satanic temple will show up and say, if you're going to do that, you got to put up one of these because that's fair. And so it reminds (laughs) you really quickly that uh, a good secular government uh, is protection for and from the dominance of any particular religion.
0: (laughs) Definitely,
1: definitely. So we get that from Elpheus Levi. That's that's uh, his artwork, and he systematized a lot of magical practices and tried to make it into a more understandable system. I think it's still nonsense, mm. but you, you, a lot of what we think about of like drawing circles and casting spells and uh, you know having particular formula that he. It comes from older traditions, but he's the one who like put it all into writing, and that all is coming from like the mid 1800s. It is not the ancient practice mm-hmm. that people think it is.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, 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 but uh, it's all still really interesting history, and um, you know, we could talk a lot more about this, but uh,
1: we'll stay tuned. We'll have more monster talk soon. So,
0: <laughs> yes, yes, we will. So. Alright. How do you want to wrap things up?
1: I guess I, I guess I'll just say that uh that's the deal with Tarot.
0: Really interesting topic and it's it's just fascinating to me because again, I think most people today just think you know, tarot is fortune telling. Mm-hmm. They don't think about it in terms of being a historical game and this really puts things in perspective.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to to know that if you were in France, you could probably catch this on French ESPN. People just playing tarot. It's, it's, it is. it's Do check out the video. It's like yeah. nine minutes long. It's it's worth looking at because it's a really interesting game. And the, just to, to know, check that, out
0: a casino someday there and yeah, see it uh, being played. <laughs> that just sounds so even more fun. <laughs>
1: it's like, yeah it, All right. Well, uh, thanks again, everybody, for listening to Monster Talk. Uh, We'll be back – oh, my God. Next week.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Blake, for all of your hard research on this topic because it it is just such a broad topic. It's really difficult to condense all of this into one show.
1: Yeah, and uh, check the show notes. Lots of stuff in there. So I think uh, if you want to read on this, there's lots to read.
0: (laughs) Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone.
1: Thank you very much. We'll see you next week.
0: Bye. Monster Talk
1: you've been listening to Monster Talk, The Science Show about Monsters. I'm Blake Smith,
0: and I'm Karen Stolzner.
1: You just heard part two of our two-part look into the game and divination tools known as Tarot. Researching this has been a mixture of excitement and disappointment. There's a huge body of literature about the symbolism and interpretation of these cards, yet their supposed ancient lineage is as barely as old as the United States. So much of what movies and books tell us is ancient wisdom and powerful magic is just so much recent invention, usually only as old as the so-called Age of Enlightenment. The myth that the Age of Reason was the end of magical thinking is absolutely absurd. Time and time again, it turns out that the most pervasive ideas of monsters and magic are just a few centuries old, and many of the figures that we think of as bastions of scientific thinking were absolutely mired in alchemy and other forms of arcane and magical thought. We'll look into that more in future episodes, so stay tuned. Monster Talk's a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, home of such shows as Fork in the Road, I Know What Scares You, and When Things Go Wrong. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Stay tuned and we'll be back next week with more Monster Talk. Our theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thanks for making our show a part of your listening life.
0: in a Monster House presentation.